the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Pelotazo arriba que la toca Dani Carvajal. Cae para Gaby. Creo que estaba así en fuera de juego. Uy, y no puede, Gaby no puede. La rodilla derecha. Ojo. La rodilla derecha. Sí. Eso no tiene buena pinta. Welcome along to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. My name is Rudy Barlow. I'm joined by Paco Pollitt. And we'll be honest here, the morale is pretty low after Spain did win their last European qualifier 3-1 and made it 2-3-1 wins. One over Cyprus first on last Thursday and one over Georgia on Sunday night. But Paco, I'll ask how you are, but the big news here has to be a huge injury to Gabby. Yeah, obviously the the feeling uh, of everyone, not only from La Liga Lowdown team, but I guess uh, most of the Spain Spanish fan bases, that uh, the price was too high for tonight's win, because uh, Gabby's is uh, Gabby's injury might uh, be crucial in the bad way, obviously for for Spain's interests regarding. The Euro 2024, and obviously, uh, Barca fans out there might be at this point, you know, uh, sorrowing for for what has happened because Barca are bound to lose one of their most important players for, I would say, at least half a year, six months is more or less the standard time of recovery. It can become, uh, you know, even more. It could become even less, even though it's not really recommended by by the doctors but but yeah obviously whenever there's this kind of injury and it happens to uh, to such a young player uh the the signs of of um you know our our worries are clear because we've seen uh obviously what happens with such a player such a young player with uh, you know critical injuries in 
in his knees. The best example at this point comes to mind, Ansu Fati. Remember that he was like the brightest star for Barca's academy, you know, uh, coming up into the first team, slotting right in, becoming one of the stars of the side, number 10 and so on, and knee injuries... Uh, in, the, in, in some sense kneecapped his, his progression and you know he has never been the same so uh, let's hope for the best in Gabi's case um, at this point uh, when we're recording this there's no official statement backing up the you know the first uh, you know uh, exploration of yeah and the first signs of the of the injury but everyone is already talking about a, a torn IC, ACL so yeah, not the best night, even though Spain were able to, to win the three points and become the you know the overall leaders of their group. But as I said earlier, the, the cost, the price of, of this win was too, too high. Yeah, and I mean, there's been some kind of... <laughs> some kind of blame in De La Fuente. I mean, Gabi played 90 minutes against Cyprus um, and then again started this game and he came off after about 27 minutes, I think it is. He kind of... He's, landing and he essentially is you could see his knee just kind of spasms and and it's gone and yeah it's just it's just a really hard one to take i mean this is a guy who's 19 he was playing the best football of his career i think for barcelona this season he's been hands down with frankie de jong their best midfielder you look at that the kind of players that are in that midfield the likes of ilkay gundogan hasn't looked nearly as good as gavi in a dysfunctional team which just tells you how how well he's been doing and and the blow is huge for Barcelona. I mean, now you're down to Dion, Gundogan, uh, Oriol Romeu, obviously, and Pedri, and those are your kind of midfield options. It's gonna they're gonna be turning to the academy again. And for Spain, I mean, if there's been one constant in this midfield for Luis De La Fuente, it, it's been Rodri and Gavi have been the two that have kind of really cemented their places in recent weeks. So or recent kind of international breaks. So yeah, it is a, a massive blow and it does look like he will be out of the Euros and it, it's hard to really sum up the impact of this, but it, it could be season changing for, for Barcelona. And we'll come on in the second half of the show to Real Madrid's injuries. We'll talk a little bit about some good news for Barcelona too and, and a little bit of Real Betis. But, but yeah, it does feel for me as if this international break has the potential to to really kind of alter the course of the season for both Barcelona and Real Madrid. Yeah, it can become a a season changer for for both sides, and now the you know the battle begins or the the race begins to to find a a replacement, a, a reliable replacement for for Gabi in Spain's midfield. I think that De La Fuente isn't going to have the the. You know the the best experience at trying to do this because uh, Gabi might be one of the few irreplaceable players in in his squad. I'm thinking about maybe Gabi, Rodri, obviously alongside him in the midfield, and um, I would say that's it. Uh, at the end of the day, most of the and and Pedri, obviously, uh, who has had his fair share of, of physical issues. Um, the rest of the squad, more or less, is quite uh, flexible on. Uh, players, positions, uh, forms, obviously, but uh, as far as De La Fuente was in in charge uh, at the helm in the last uh, six months, seven months, 
uh, Gabby and, and Rodri were irreplaceable, and suddenly he's lost 50% of, of his uh, keystones in, in the midfield. So I think it's going to be tricky uh, to find that kind of profile. Um, obviously, as you know, I'm surrounded by Valencia fans. Many were claiming towards uh, players like Javi Guerra, uh, obviously Pepelu, who is having a quite a notable season over in, in Valencia. But uh, leaving those names aside, I think it's it's going to be tough to, to find someone who is able to uh, fill in properly Gabi's uh, shoes. And yeah, as you said, if Xavi had been complaining the last few weeks for a number of issues, a range of, uh, you know, different uh, um, issues which are plaguing his side, uh, Barca not playing well and so on, and the press and, and the pressure and so on. I think that losing Gabi is going to make his job even tougher in the following months because uh, it was obviously one of of his most played uh, individuals and one of the of the pillars, you could say, of of Barca who haven't been brilliant so far this season and are going to have a tough time to in the following weeks and in the following months. Yeah, and De La Fuente. Rather, unfortunately, the day before, they said the kind of the best players they play every week, they never rest, um, and and that's going to be a quote that's fr- no doubt thrown yeah. at him in the post match. I mean, we're we're still kind of waiting for that to filter through, but but yeah, depressing times. I mean, if there is any positives to take or if there's anything to look at, Spain did top their group. They beat Georgia three one on the Sunday night, and it was pretty comfortable in the end. Leno Mans put them ahead. Very early, Kvaratskhelia equalised after 10 minutes and in the second half, Ferran Torres scored before uh, Lokoshvili own goal made it 3-1 and pretty comfortable. I don't know if there's really much from my point of view to take from those two games, but in terms of kind of new players, we saw Rodo Raquelme in both games, we saw half of Aleix Garcia and I thought uh, Alejandro Grimaldo looked pretty good. Was yeah. there anything in particular that... Stood out for you, Paco. Yeah, I was going to speak about Grimaldo, who had a um, very interesting first half against um, Georgia tonight. Uh, because if you check out, most of Spain's danger being generated happened through the the left wing. Uh, both goals came through that way, even though they were finished in the in the opposite side. And yeah, I think that his uh, society with um, I think Oyarzabal was was playing also in the left. And uh, Thuimendi too. I don't know. I think he, he he seemed quite comfortable playing over there. And yeah, obviously, uh, Jose Luis Gaya was was in charge of the assist for Ferran Torres scoring the the second goal. Also, Ferran was in charge of scoring once and assisting once tonight. So overall, good game for for Shark Ferran Torres. And uh, you know, a set piece being the opener for Spain was. A nice change of pace because uh, it's not exactly one of uh, Spain's uh, strengths at this point. Um, under Luis Enrique, it was one of the most um, insisted aspects. Whenever uh, there was a, a call for the for the national side and whenever they had ten days working together, I think that Luis Enrique was very keen on trying to work on set pieces and so on. Uh, Luis de la Fuente isn't as uh, you know doesn't exert so that much pressure on trying to perfect. Uh, set pieces and and yeah, Ferran Torres being one in charge to to take it and and Robin Lenormand with a uh, an easy header, you know, uh, almost a tap in. 
uh, against uh, Georgi Marmardasvili, who once again, uh, alongside uh, Kavaliskelia, was one of the best Georgian players. Uh, Valencia's goalie, because even though he uh, let three in, you know, he was in charge of, of quite a few saves. He couldn't do anything in in the, la the last goal because of a deflection one by one of his defenders, as you said. But I don't think that he's going to remember fondly Spain because he's seen <laughs> how his goal has been, um, you know, vanquished uh, ten times in only two games, which is quite a lot. Even though I think he's a, a great goalkeeper. So yeah, uh, bits and pieces here and there. Um, Oyarzabal, remember he he got the the, the injury uh, the injury against Cyprus. Uh, Rodri once again was in the midfield. Uh, quite uh, solid defense, even though you had a couple of uh, you know very tricky players to to mark in front of them for for Spain's defense tonight. Carvajal uh, got another cap once again. So yeah, on the football side of things, uh, almost everything were good news for Spain, even though. You know, uh, only one point was needed tonight against Georgia. Spain picked up the three. I think it's more or less a testament to just how uh, solid and, and consistent the team has been in throughout the six games. But as you know, as we said earlier, um, maybe that Luis de la Fuente quote is going to haunt him further along the road because losing Gabi in, in, in such a game, which is not really that you know crucial towards uh, the Spain's um, future ahead of them because uh, with a draw was more than enough I think that the the manager isn't going to be happy with uh, both the quote that he said you know that he was um, uh, speaking about the in before the game and also because of the outcome and Gabby's injury yeah just uh, kind of filtering through as we speak Ferran Torres says it's a bittersweet victory um, Gaia says bittersweet as well uh, Leonard Mann says he's pissed off and it's a, it's a huge blow and, and De La Fuente said they'll wait for the tests but they're very worried um, and and yeah it's the most bittersweet victory of his um, that he's experienced in his life so so yeah it's um it's, it's a tough one and just kind of it does it does feel like these kind of situations I mean that quote for De La Fuente will be thrown back at him Obviously, there was the applause for Luis Rubiales before. There was a Scotland game where he came out with some pretty bizarre statements after that match when they when they were beaten. And it does feel like every now and then he seems to kind of put his foot in his mouth a little bit, De La Fuente, um, more so with his mouth than his actual coaching. After ten kind of competitive games in the um, in the qualifiers and also with that Nations League victory, what's your kind of general sense of the Spain side. How do you feel about them generally? Kind of ahead of Euro the European Cup. Obviously, they'll have a couple friendlies before they go into mm. it. But where are you on Spain just now? Before we wrap up the first half of the show, it might be some sort of unpopular opinion regarding Luis de la Fuente, but I think that his best achievement so far has been coming in and try to not break anything which Luis Enrique built back in the day, and just be a tad bit more defensive. And so far it has worked wonders for, for Spain because um, Luis Enriquez's main uh, fatal flaw, in my view, was that um, Spain has been lacking a true, reliable number nine since the times of David Villa, Fernando Torres and so on. And uh, people who succeed, you know, uh, their successors ha haven't been as proficient in, 
in the job of of scoring goals in in any in any way. And Morata was uh, Luis Enrique's is number nine, and Morata is Luis de la Fuente's number nine, and Morata is having possibly his best season so far as a professional player, and that obviously has translated into uh, a transfer into the 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 performance as Spain's number nine. Also, you have Oyarzabal over. Also, you have Coselu over there who has been scoring with Real Madrid. So, in that sense, I think De La Fuente is luckier because his strikers are in better form than Luis Enriquez in in the past World Cup. But I would say that Spain tried to follow the same template which was laid out by Luis Enrique, but possibly playing 10 meters uh, behind the, the usual place. Uh, with Luis Enrique, Spain were pressing very, very high, very, very hard. It was a very physical uh, time for the players. Uh, Gabi was super important in the midfield, also Rodri and so on. But under Luis La Fuente, he has seen, uh, appropriately so, and, and, and I think in a positive way, that Spain don't really need to do the same in order to win the games. Maybe when they face, you know, tougher opposition on other challenges, which are better than Cyprus or Georgia or Norway, uh, Spain will find it a bit tougher to, to you know, crack the egg and and score and win the games. But at this point, it's more than enough. You know, we've seen that in the in all the qualifiers that uh, Spain have so much firepower and so much quality that even with Haaland in front of them, even with Kevalescali in front of them, it doesn't really matter because you can rely on Unai Simon and your defenders that uh, ultimately you're going to score at least one more goal than the opposition. Scotland was more or less the, you know, the, the asterisk over there because uh, both games were tough. But overall, I think that De La Fuente has followed the rule of if it's not broken, don't, don't fix it. And he has only slightly changed the approach, a bit more defensive, and that has benefited overall the, uh, not the playstyle maybe, but yes, the results definitely for, for the team. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how De La Fuente does fare against kind of the more, yeah, the, the teams with better weapons, because even those Scotland games, and I think Scotland are an organised, decent enough international side, but they don't have an attacking threat that can really... Um, destroy an opponent with the exception of Scott McTominay um, but I will uh, wrap things up there um, for the first part of the show and we will do our very best to pick up the tone in the second half of the show as I say we're going to discuss Betis we're going to discuss the women's classical type of classical given it's not the uh, true women's classical and of course Real Madrid's injuries as well who also suffered this international break so don't go anywhere we'll be back in just a moment Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. 
Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the La Liga Loren podcast. It is part two. It's really bad. I'm joined by Paco Polit. We've just heard how Spain got on in the European qualifiers. We're now going to switch a little bit more to some of the other international action, but not for the right reasons. And that's because Vinicius Jr. has picked up a relatively serious muscle injury. He's uh, ruptured a thigh muscle. That's going to keep him out for eight to ten weeks. So that's going to be middle of January to February that he'll be out and Camavinga in training as well also picked up a thigh tear and that's going to keep him out for around or sorry a knee tendon tear which will keep him out for eight weeks or so. At least Real Madrid with a pretty hefty injury list Paco I mean they've now got nine injuries and it should be said that those nine injuries we do expect Kepa uh, Bellingham and Ceballos to be back for their next game against Cadiz. Um, all being well, they should be around, but it's still, I mean, you look at Camavinga, Vinicius, obviously, uh, Militao and Courtois are out long term. The the injuries, Guler as well is out and kind of indefinitely, we don't expect to see him this year. It's really piling up for Real Madrid and regardless of how good your squad is, regardless of how rich you are, these players, if you're missing them, they do have a major impact, don't they, Paco? Mm. Yeah, and I think that it's uh, as we as we say over in Spain, llueve sobre mojado. More or less, it's like adding salt into the wound. You know, it's something that uh, Real Madrid fans have already complained about in the past. Also, Real Madrid as as a club, you know, with all of their different tools uh, inside meeting rooms and so on, they they have complained plenty of times to both, uh, you know, FIFA and the different national teams about many of their players, um, you know, uh, having a big effort uh, being performed uh, 
when playing at home with their own side and later, you know, uh, increasing the the level of of input uh, when they play with their national teams and that ultimately uh, means uh, injuries. And I think that they, as other big sides, we could speak about also Barca, PSG, um, I don't know, Liverpool, Chelsea, uh, Tottenham back in the day, they had a plague of injuries. Also Atletico Madrid, uh, if we speak about Spanish league. Um, most of them have suffered this kind of uh, transition periods with plenty of injuries coming from assets, which players ultimately are, uh, who are loaned to, to national squads. And, and that's why uh, Real Madrid and, uh, to the extent uh, of my knowledge, Florentino Perez himself are very, very angry with all this issue because even though if uh, the different uh, federations pay the teams uh, in, in many times handsomely for, for the services of their players, it doesn't really, uh, you know, balance, outbalance the cost of losing, for example, Vinicius for three months. And I totally understand Real Madrid. I totally understand many of the other uh, teams. The big uh, issue here or the or the big, um, uh, you know, takeaway would be if teams really want to solve this, to try and press the issue and try to change to some extent the uh, scheduling calendar uh, throughout the season, because uh, it has been a complaint uh, through and through for, for the last decade, the players play too many games. And I think that's a fact. And even after rescheduling, I have serious doubts that this uh, problem would be solved. But yeah, as you said, um, Real Madrid are losing two crucial players till I would say mid-January, the beginning weeks of, of February. Uh, let's see how they face the, the following games until the, the Christmas break, but uh, especially as Vinicius had seemed to have been recovered uh, his form. Uh, Camavinga has been obviously very important for the team in the midfield throughout the, the season and also with you know, that can secondary consequences, as we have listened to in the last few days of uh, Luka Modric maybe seeking out uh, further chances to continue playing in other leagues. Um, everyone knows that he extends his contract yearly every summer and uh, this season so far he hasn't had those many chances to shine. Um, other players have uh, subbed him in the, and replaced him in the, in the midfield. So uh, losing Camavinga is going to be a big blow, especially for Ancelotti, who is ultimately the guy who has to go in front of the press and complain. And he usually does that very well about all of this whole FIFA shenanigans. So yeah, unfortunate for Real Madrid. And let's see how Ancelotti is able to put the you know the jigsaw back together. Just on that, I mean, we talk about kind of Real Madrid complaining, and I think both of us are probably. I imagine I don't want to speak for you, but we probably agree that the scheduling is too heavy, and that perhaps the international breaks are demanding a little bit too much, especially for these South American players who have to fly so far, and mm. um, the African players as well, the Asian ones, the ones that aren't in Europe. The journey time, uh, sometimes, especially the conditions in kind of Colombia, like it could be a very different temperature. It's really, it is hard going on these players who are catching long, long flights. But do Real Madrid have a right to complain? And I'm not going to use the kind of money argument because obviously they could have bulked out their squads. And we know Carlo Ancelotti is quite good at not complaining about his, his superiors and essentially saying, you've left me a little bit short, which I think this is going to be a real test of of kind of Ancelotti here 
But do they have a right to complain when there's going to be four more games added to the Champions League next season when they're doing a Super Cup in Saudi Arabia with an extra couple of games as well? I mean, these teams are also on board with more games for themselves. So do they have a right to complain or, or is, uh, is, or do, are they fair game going against FIFA here? The, I think that their right to complain is at the same level as potentially Manchester City, PSG, Barca, Man, uh, Bayer, uh, München, uh, you know, other top sides in in the within the elite over in in European football. I think that ultimately, if you play more games as a club, it usually means that you have done very well in the past season. So you shouldn't really complain about being, you know, the the number one contender and playing the, uh, you know, the the club World Cup. I think that is, uh, you know, a, a prestige tournament ultimately, and and playing that and traveling so far. I don't know. I think that uh, anyone who who does that needs to be happy about the fact and and not uh, sour about you know having a couple of more games on their schedule. But I understand maybe that they are not very happy about uh, maybe the Spanish Super Cup having to fly so far away instead of playing it inside Spain. That could be a valid argument. But I think that Real Madrid are correct in their complaints, but not more than other elite sites over in Europe because more or less you uh, you know chalk up the number of, of games ultimately being played at the end of the season there are not massive differences if if you are a team who uh, you know thrive and win everything and and you know get to the end of every single tournament you get to the end of the Copa del Rey you get to the end in the Champions League and so on you are expected to be playing about 50 between 50, 55, 56 games, which is a lot. And if then you add, you know, mm -hmm. the 10, 12, 15 games that, yeah, 10, 12 would be the appropriate number that an international player also, uh, you know, has to endure. We're talking about a 65, almost 70 game season, NBA levels here. If you play the full games, all of them, and also the 90 minutes, uh, it's impossible not to be injured, and actually, the the case can be can be pushed forward with Pedri. Remember, he had a season with Barca two years ago, and he played all Barca games, all Copa del Rey games, all the Champions League games, also UEFA games. He played for the Spanish national side for the under 21s. He played the the Olympics, and he got injured, and he got injured hard, and that's what happened when you push the human body to the limit, because. As far as uh, you know, NBA players go. Uh, it's true that they have an NT2, uh, you know, regular season, NT2 uh, game regular season, but they have all of the, you know, the the tools available to recover very quickly. They also have like private planes going from one point to the other of the of the USA. Um, and it's a, just a different kind of sport, and ultimately it's much shorter. The the efforts are more, more much more controlled, but football, a ninety minute game, can be grueling on the on the human body. So, Real Madrid have a point. It's not only theirs to tackle. I think that many other sides should do that. I think that was one of the potential excuses back in the day to try to gather together and push forward a, a European Super League. But once that, uh, you know, that point has been shot down, um, they would should try to unite to other sides, 
it's going to be tough because they are not, you know, dearly beloved by other national, uh, by other international teams, because precisely of the, of that controversy surrounding the European Super League. But um, as far as top sides in Europe, they should try to band together to some extent and just sit down with both FIFA and UEFA and the different leagues and just say, okay. This should be, uh, at least, if not stopped, at least controlled to some extent. And we can't have, uh, you know, 55, 60 game seasons for our players. So there should be some, some sort of limit. And on kind of Real Madrid more specifically here, I mean, you say Petri there, we did kind of talk about Vinicius last season, about how many games that he played. He was basically um, always in, on the, in the team and rarely, rarely rested until kind of the latter stages of the season. But... Looking at their squad now, so in terms of fit midfielders, you've got Modric, Ceballos and Valverde to uh, fulfil those kind of three spots behind the the front three, if you like, including Bellingham in that three. And then in that kind of attacking area, you've got Rodrigo Hosselu and Bellingham and then Brian Diaz as your only option off the bench. We're probably going to see a bit more of Nico Path, who's a talented uh, youngster, but yeah, how much of an impact do you see this having on Real Madrid? Because Vinicius has obviously not been quite what he was last season, but if you start taking away those threats and you start asking Rodrigo, Hosselu and Bellingham to be there every game and be the creative force, if you're asking Modric to be putting in kind of 90 to, to 200 minutes a, a week, do you, do you think this is going to be a real kind of... Do you think we'll see Real Madrid fall off quite a lot here or, or do you think they'll be able to manage it? I don't really think so because Real Madrid were going were doing quite well without Vinicius in the first ten games of the of the season. You know, Vinicius has only been, you know, uh, close to his real level in the last maybe three, four, five games. Okay, but before Real Madrid were thriving and winning everything without him. So, I think that Real Madrid will be fine. You know, ultimately they will be fine because it all comes down to the you know individual quality of the players and Real Madrid have that to boot. But yeah, it's true that this is more. Like, uh, this should be like a, a full debate for a full episode here in in, in La Liga Lowdown because um, remember, with the pandemic, uh, the football authorities tried to, to some extent, help the sides and the squads with those five subs, and that remained. You know, that was going to be just something um, like a one shot for a single season, and and sides decided that. It was positive for the flow of the game because you allowed more subs in, you allowed fresher legs coming into the to the pitch, and that also helped teams to rest some of their starters. Okay, and you weren't like forced to have at least six or seven of your or eight of your starting players to play the full ninety minutes. And at the end of the day, this subtle modification of five subs instead of three. Um, has also helped massive sides and big sides to to thrive even more, and it has been very punishing for smaller ones. Because if you don't have the the means and the and the money to, uh, you know, build a, a reliable deep squad with 18, 20 players, ultimately, the big sides are going always to get the advantage and the edge here because you keep bringing in with your five subs maybe a couple of b-side or youngsters and real madrid get it like against valencia only a couple of weeks ago you get 18 in the second half luka modric uh, jose lu and so on and those are not b-side uh, b-team players they are like full-fledged starters who don't have the space on the starting 11 
And, and that's why I think that Real Madrid and Barca maybe and, uh, I don't know, other big sides, Atletico, for example, are the perfect example of this. Atletico have a, have a very, very deep squad, like 20 players who could perfectly start any single game because Simeone really wanted that. Simeone is that kind of school which was born in the early tw 2000s with... Rafa Benitez over here in Valencia was a master of his craft in this, of rotations, you know. Keep rotating your squad every single game. Doesn't matter the opposition, doesn't matter the competition. Just keep rotating them in order to keep them fresh when you reach the last 10, 15 games of the season. And having that, Simeone, I think he really knows that he, if he wants to have his full chances of uh, succeeding when March comes around, he needs 20 players at their top level. And in order to have that, you need to play them as regu regularly as possible. And in Simeone's case, Atletic's case, having all those subs has benefited them. In the case of the absences, Real Madrid, I think they are going to notice them maybe in cagey games, tight games, where that Vinicius flash single quality play can make the difference. But in the 90% of them, I think they are going to be just fine. Uh, yeah, I think um, for me, almost like as much as Vinicius is obviously a huge, huge problem, I think... Lacking Chouamini and Camavinga at the same time is going to be an issue too because you're then going to move one of Tony Kroos or Ferdi Valverde in there. If you stick Valverde in there, you kind of upset that equilibrium that's allowed Danny Carvajal to be so good. If you put Kroos in there, Kroos isn't quite as defensively um, astute as, as kind of some of his other ones. And if especially if you have Kroos and Modric there, then you're going to have a problem defensively for me. So so yeah, I think it, I think it might. Uh, certainly take a few points off them. And just talking about kind of those smaller sides, I just quickly wanted to touch on Real Betis, who, I mean, we've spoken before about them kind of leaving their, leaving Pellegrini a little bit short. But right now, I mean, Sabali's injured. He should be back um, before too long, I think. But you've got Bellerin there at right back, Abner Vinicius and Juan Miranda at left back. Juan Miranda could be moving on in January because he's out of contract. It looks as if he wants to leave either next summer or in January, I think Dortmund and Milan have both been mentioned. They obviously brought in Socrates, who, who's coming on a free, but has not played much. Chadi Riyad, who came in from Barcelona this summer, is still only 20, and he's coming. He's not available for the Europa League. He's not registered yet, um, but he could be away to the African Cup of Nations as well. Bartra should be back before that happens, but German Petzela and, and Bellerin, Miranda, Abner, they basically only have kind of four defenders that they can rely on in every match right now. Uh, are they, I wonder about those big teams as well, Real Madrid kind of leaving Ancelotti a little bit short up front. I think Barcelona left uh, Xavi a little bit shorter in terms of getting Cancelo and Felix in and weakening the squad that way. Are, are they leaving Pellegrini a little bit too thin? Are we gonna, again, see that because look at Girona, Real Sociedad, I mean you've got Athletic Club who are not playing European football, the competition for those Europa League places is more alive for me this season than it was last. Yeah, in Pellegrini's case, uh, you know, we're having an example of, of every uh, punishment that a manager can really endure. As you said, Ancelotti with problems uh, in the front, um, some other teams with uh, some players missing in the in the midfield, as for example Real Madrid, and in the, uh, Pellegrini's case, he's you know he has had his defense rudely manhandled throughout the the competition. I think that it's a, a perfect example of of bad luck. You know, ultimately, when you get so many uh, injuries 
in those specific positions at the back, you just can't really uh, blame a specific reason because it's just a, a case of, I wouldn't say bad planning because ultimately you have uh, made like the, the bullet point list of up to six players. If, if you get si five, six players out in your defending um, in your defending area, that's just you know that, that's just too bad for the manager. It's unlucky. He will have to deal with that. You know, trying to reconvert other players from other specific positions, trying to you know give advantages and chances to uh, some you know youth academy players or B team players, because that's just the way it is. Uh, back in the day, uh, Valencia used to do that. You might remember in the midfield in past seasons before they signed Pepe, Pepe Lua and Javi Guerra came up through the ranks. But I totally understand how Pellegrini must be feeling and how frustrating he must be feeling. Because as you said, this year is going to be very tight in the race for the European spots. And if you, uh, you know, if you fail to deliver... In two, three specific games, that might be uh, very punishing at the end of the year, you know, because as you said, many contenders are there with the different spots up for grabs. Girona at this point uh, have been mighty, and I seriously doubt that they miss on the shot of qualifying for the Champions League. I, I seriously doubt that because the fall, the drop should be very acute, and I think that the their management have the resources to, in case of a drop, for example, coming before January, they would be able to bring in a couple of players to, uh, once again, strengthen the squad. I think that Mitchell has that kind of, you know, attitude or mentality. When he really sees something that doesn't work, he will be, try to, he will be trying to solve it as quickly as possible. So uh, Girona will, will drop eventually, but the drop is not going to be uh, dramatic. Um, and that's why at this point, with all of the points amassed so far, they have, I would say, 60% of the job done in order to qualify for Champions League, which would be obviously history in the making, you know, absolutely massive for, for the team. And then you have the other two spots and so many contenders over there because you have talked about Athletic Club doing a good season, always Betis, you know, lurking uh, behind the bushes, uh, waiting to uh, take their shot at that fifth or sixth spot. Real Sociedad, obviously. Even they have started so, so badly this season. I wouldn't rule out Villarreal because of, obviously, the squad that they have, Gerard Moreno in front and Marcelino uh, in the sidelines. And yeah, we can have a couple of, you know, surprises over there. So it's going to be very interesting to, to see that battle in the following months and in the following weeks. And towards that scrap, um, it's, you know, very unlucky, as I said earlier, uh, everything that's going on over uh, at uh, Sevilla, over in, in El Benito Villamarín, in Betis. But yeah, maybe, I don't know, Isco is getting married in order to counterweight that to some extent and bring some sort of joy to the squad because the rest of the of the news coming over there are always very painful with injuries and so on. Yeah, it feels just a little bit harsh for Pellegrino that he's done such a good job over the last two, three years, continually achieving, continually getting them into Europe. Obviously, they won the Copa del Rey, but they've not really been allowed to enjoy the fruits of success in terms of more investment, in terms of um, a deeper squad to tackle those things with. But one to, to keep an eye on. And just before we finish up, 
Um, Barcelona did beat Real Madrid uh, <laughs> one last time this year. Barcelona Femenino uh, won 5-0. They absolutely thumped Real Madrid Femenino at Montjuic. I think there was just under 40,000 people there. Aitana Bonmati opened the scoring. Caroline Graham Hansen, Mariona Caldente. And then in stoppage time of the second half, Claudia Pina added a fourth. And Vicky Lopez became the youngest ever scorer in a Barcelona Real Madrid game so yeah pretty impressive stuff and uh yeah you watched this one didn't you Paco yeah I was obviously I'm uh, quite a a big fan of of women football not I'm not one of the modern ones you know I've been watching uh <laughs> women football for most of my life and at this point it just uh even though back in the day Four seasons ago, when the deal was struck between Club Deportivo Tacón and Real Madrid in order to absorb the the name of the club and become Real Madrid Femenino, um, even when uh, some of the media over in in Madrid, obviously, they were claiming that football was entering a new dimension with Real Madrid having their own women's team. At this point, they are just another different league. You know, Real Madrid are uh, mortal. And uh, Barca are in a, another tier of, of football play style, of football level, achievement, quality. The perfect example is uh, to sum up the fourth goal, um, which uh, wasn't scored by her, but, you know, the play, the run by Aitana Monmati was, was absolutely brilliant. You know, that kind of reminiscence to what... Iniesta used to do back in the day of just dancing around the ball and, and sending the defender straight into the ground with a with a you know a, a dribble and and it was and it was beautiful especially during the first half because Barca polished the game in the first half and and all of their goals were were both uh very efficient football wise and also very aesthetically pleasing um the third one went straight into the angle i don't know i think that they are uh Barca are perfecting with their women's side what it expect, what what actually is expected from the men's team, and uh, yeah, in that sense, it it won't you know sit well with Xavi Hernandez, who has recently had his own qualm with journalists and so on. But the way Barça Femenino play, uh, they really tend to adjust to the high standards that Barça fans really have with their teams. Not only winning, but the way of winning is also very relevant. And in this case, since uh, Real Madrid Femenino exists, all of the, uh, you know, uh, classical derbies between both sides have uh, toppled over to Barça's favor. And, and in this case, it also was a, a joy to watch the, the way the, the, the audience, the fans, the afición, they they responded with as you said forty thousand people over there in in Montjuic and it was the first time the game was played there uh, obviously because of the all of the wars happening in Cano but yeah you know Barca are marching forward to win once again the league I would be very surprised if they lost a single point in the in the full season uh, a single point or a single game you know both of them are are correct. And once again, their their main issue is going to be the you know the challenge of winning the the Champions League, the Women Champions League. Whereas for Real Madrid, they will have to keep working towards try to uh, get the balance of power in at least in a in a balanced in a balanced position. Because at this point, it's too unbalanced towards Barca, and I think it's going to be that way for at least a, a couple of seasons. Yeah, Barcelona winning twelve straight. They are top of the league in the. 
Liga F, um, nine games, nine wins, 39 goals, two conceded. Uh, Real Madrid, to be fair to them, are still in second place after that. They're joined with Levante and two points behind are Atleti. And if you want a little bit more about women's football, if you uh, upgrade and go and see a couple of Lauren McCann's good pieces that she's been writing about Barcelona and Real Madrid and their kind of Champions League campaigns and how that's looking in the group stage. I think we will wrap things up there for now. Uh, my thanks to Paco. Thank you very much for joining Thank you, obviously. And remember, everyone, as uh, Rory said, that you should upgrade to check out all of the pieces, the Substack pieces, written ones, and also the special podcast that uh, the special podcast that every single midweek you can delight to your um, perform some kind of delightful listen to your own ears. Yes, absolutely. We will be back on Thursday. And with that, I will bid you all adios and we'll see you again on Thursday. dust coming from still finding debris after vacuuming eufy x10 pro omni robot vacuum has 8,000 pa of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets and it's totally hands-free want to know more go to eufy.com that's eufy.com and discover x10 pro omni the best in class all-in-one robot vacuum for only 799 dollars Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.